You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. Diversity Straight Up is brought to you by... For more than six decades, ACT has advanced its mission of helping people achieve education and workplace success. We exist to fight for fairness in education and create a world where everyone can discover and fulfill their potential. Education has power, a power that can change lives forever. It creates opportunities that lift up individuals and their families, and it sparks societal change that echoes through generations to come. From our grassroots, we have fought the good fight for equity in education, and we remain devoted to helping anyone who struggles to access that power. We are all in to create a world that values and encourages each individual's abilities and potential in a society that is fairer and more equitable. How do you use your energy? Giving back to your community? Fueling your drive to deliver hope for neighbors in need. At Alliant Energy, we're creating more clean, renewable energy every single day to power what matters to you. Because even during the most powerful moments in our lives, we're not thinking about power. We're thinking about a brighter future. Alliant Energy, powering beyond. The phrase, people you can bank on, it kind of embodies our legacy. What I think that means is we care about our clients, we care about our community, and we care for each other. Having been in business for over 20 years and uh, explored all possibilities of financing and you know banking relationships, I have found that the people at Cedar Rapids Bank & Trust are people that you can really bank on. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Corridor Media Group's Diversity Straight Up, sponsored by ACT, Alliant Energy, and Cedar Rapids Bank & Trust. I am your host, Sadika Bakta, president of Nikea Diversity Consulting. Hi, everybody. I am your host, Anthony Arrington, managing partner of Top Rank. We're about to get under the hood. We're going to have a great, great show today. Uh, we're coming to you virtually by way of Texas and Iowa. We're just all over, so it's going to be fun. Uh, we're about to uh, speak with a, a great leader and have a conversation about the LGBTQ community. I think it's an important topic, so looking forward to it. Yes, our guest is Courtney Reyes. She's the executive director of One Iowa. After getting a degree from Iowa State in 2006, Courtney worked in substance abuse treatment facilities serving women and their children. During the eve of Barack Obama's second election, there was a fire that was lit in Courtney to take action and create change, which led her to work at One Iowa. She started to take on new challenges and leadership, moving up in the organization and earning the role of executive director in 2019. Courtney's leadership style is focused on empowering and caring for her team to be their very best. She often wears her heart on her sleeve and leads with the motto of, I cry at work. This passion paired with the drive to make actual change for LGBTQ Iowans throughout the state and around the country has her ability to connect with people on a real level, makes her a highly effective advocate and leader. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us here. I know you are in Texas and so am I, and we appreciate um, you and your time that you are giving to Diversity Straight Up today. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here, y'all. Um, can't wait to see what where our topics are. <laughs> <laughs> we well, appreciate it. 
Well, before we get started, Cedric and I usually like to talk about things that are on our mind. And, and Cedric, uh, I know that you've got something that you've been thinking about, so we'd love to, to have a conversation about that. Yeah, Anthony, something's on my mind. There's something on my mind. I know that we've talked about uh, this particular issue uh, of uh, gun control, but as we know, what just happened yesterday during the 4th of July parade, there's uh, lots that's going on in the landscape that it behooves us to really talk about um, what's going on on my mind, but I'm sure on everybody's mind is self-care, mental health. And I feel like there's just a lot from a divisive aspect of it, from a hate perspective, that how do we take care of ourselves so that we can be there to take care of others? And for me, that uh, self-care has been vital. I've seen it in my children. I've seen it with adults around me. And so I really want us to be thinking about self-centered care is not selfish, folks. We really need to be able to do that so that we can be there for each other. You know, we can easily spiral out of control. We can be in a very depressive mode. We can be in a state of sadness and or anger. And so I want us to be able to um, not only talk about self-care, but take actions towards self-care. So that's what's really have been on my mind a lot. I understand. I understand, Sarah, because that's it's, um, you know, and and Courtney, I appreciate any input you have. But, you know, it's it's one of the things I feel like we're in a position where everywhere we turn, there's something tragic and it's and it starts to weigh on you mentally. Right. And how do you how do you how do you control your rage? Right. Or your anger or your passion and how do you turn that into uh first of all calming down and taking care of yourself and secondly that positive action and so um, I'm, I'm with you Sedica. I, i'm i it's been um it's been a challenging challenging year challenging couple of years and it's self-care is so important and um i try it every I, I try it as much as i can i don't know what the best techniques are um i'm a big music guy i love to listen to music so i, I uh, but i think it is important so Thanks for sharing your thoughts. I just love that you brought that up. Uh, being a, in a leadership role, I you know I manage a, a team of folks, and uh, we're constantly under attack. And then you have this like news that's always coming at you of from school shootings to the murdering of black folks across our country, uh, an ongoing pandemic. You know, like you just keep adding it on. I'm sure we'll talk more about the anti-LGBTQ legislation, but like that, all of that just keeps hammering us. And I often talk to my team about, I want you to work here in six months. And so if we don't protect ourselves right now, we're never going to do that because the work is so difficult. And if we just burn out and we burn it from both ends of the, of the candle, we don't have anything left to give. And I believe that we should be taking care of our families. Like that's most important while we're looking at this self-care, we gotta take care of ourselves so we can take care of our families, so we can take care of our community. And if we can't rest and then go back to resistance, we have nothing to give. We're not gonna be able to do this work. And it's so challenging. And that's one of my priorities at One Iowa is to make sure we're taking care of ourselves because I want these folks to work here. I, heck, I want to work here in a year. <laughs> and yeah. I can't, I'm not going to be able to do that if, if we just keep getting beat up, essentially. Yeah, 
thanks so much, Courtney, for sharing your perspective because that, that really matters. And, and Sarah, it's a great, uh, I shouldn't say great, it's an important topic. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. glad that you brought that up this, uh, for this episode. So appreciate that. Uh, we, we could talk all day. I know we could. We, we, we could do this all day, but we want to talk to Courtney. We want to learn uh, about Courtney and, and, and learn about the LGBT community and, and uh, some of the things that, that uh, that's on your mind today. So we want to talk about what's on our guest mind. Say guess. What's on your mind? So, I, 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 Courtney, the first question I have is your bio intrigued me. And I want to know from you, what was it about Obama's second election? What was that fire? that lit under you and what was it that brought you to this space that you're in today that led you to be this executive director at One Iowa? Yeah, I love that question. Uh, that night I can like feel the air that evening. Um, it was the first time that I volunteered for something by myself. I didn't have anybody else to go with me. I had my little volunteer badge um, and I was at the event and we were downtown Des Moines in the East Village. and someone else on the campaign was like, if you take your badge and you walk this way, you'll get really close to the stage. So I was able to be within feet of President Obama. um, And when he came out and he talked about change and hope, and I can just like, it still like vibrates in me. And at that time, I was a stay-at-home mom. um, And I was a stay-at-home mom for about seven years. Uh, So that that moment was like, oh, wait, I have power and I need to use it. And I stayed in that stay-at-home mom role for a little while longer. Um, And then I got divorced. Uh, And I had to figure out, what am I going to do with my life? Like, I can't just stay at home with my kiddos anymore, but they're still a priority for me. Uh, And I was working at a little place in Des Moines, and I actually told them I was getting divorced. And the next day, they cut my hours. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I mean, workplace discrimination on its finest. I was going to say, Courtney, <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear that. Oh, And then the next. Uh, so that was a blow. Right. And then a little while longer, I came out because I didn't come out until later in life. I lived in the suburbs with a husband and two kids and we had everything but a white picket fence. Right. Mm. Um, and. I came out to them or came out to one of my coworkers. And then the next day I stopped getting put on the schedule. And at that moment in my life, I knew that that was not right. But I also knew that I was going through a really hard time and I couldn't get the mental energy to speak up and say something. I knew I was being discriminated against. Um, But we talk about people, how often they go, it goes unsaid discrimination goes unsaid because we don't have the mental capacity to do, to do with it. Um, I needed that job at that time. So if I went with them at that, with that attack, like with that truth, I, they could have fired me right then. Like there's so many things that play into it. Right. So I eventually they let me go from that job. Um, and I found another job that was super affirming. Uh, they, I got to be my best self there. And oddly enough, there was another presidential election that happened while I was working there in November of 2016, if anybody recalls that one. (laughs) Um, But the next day, I I woke up after President Trump was elected, and I was putting away lipsticks. I uh, I worked, I was like a manager at a spa. And I remember thinking, 
I have so much power and privilege that I know that they're coming for my people and for me. And so that night of Barack Obama and that di- that morning of those two presidential moments um, really led to me finding what's inside of me to use my fire and my passion and my privilege to um, speak up and speak out to be a part of something that's greater than me. Well, that's a that's a that's a, a an interesting story, and and we all have come to this space through through some way. I know Sadika and I have have stories and and the reasons why we are actually doing what we do today. And so, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing, Courtney. It comes down to an individual leader's purpose in life. And I think that's where it, people's purpose is what drives uh, the impact that you want to make. You know, I want to go into, um, I always say that changing demographics is a key driver of diversity. And uh, this next question really is around looking at the recent studies, um, including one from Centers for Disease Control. They're reflecting a generational shift in the growth of transgender population, especially in the number of young people in the United States who identify as this has nearly doubled in recent years. And when you think about the composition of the workforce, as well as in the marketplace, we know the Gen Ys and Gen Zs are what are making up a huge, you know, uh, percentage of this. So given this uh, change in generational shifts, so what can organizations do to foster inclusive environments, Courtney, in the workforce and marketplace, again, given this generational shift? Yeah, absolutely. Um, trans and non-binary youth, they are our future, and we need to be doing everything we can to protect them. Uh, they are your future employees. Uh, And in Iowa, if our state doesn't start to do something to protect them um, and stand up against the anti-LGBTQ bills, there's not going to be any folks. They're not going to they're not going to want to stay here (laughs) to be employed by the companies. So we encourage folks to start right now. Um, If you're feeling behind, we can catch you up uh, that we need to be making trans and non-binary individuals a priority in our workplaces. I have often people tell me. Uh, that they don't have any trans employees. And that's just not true. Uh, You just don't have any trans employees that are not out to you, that are fully out to you. And so we need uh, workplaces to be thinking about what do their handbooks look like? What does their insurance coverage look like? What what are you doing very simply from, I see you both have your pronouns in our Zoom call here today. Like those small steps that we can say, hey, we want to hear from you are so very important. And then we have to do the very big things too, like having gender neutral restrooms all, all across our um, companies, ensuring that um, trans people aren't an afterthought, but that that's how we're baking that into our policies um, as we're writing them and rewriting them. Uh, it's why startups and companies who are just getting started are some of my favorites to work with because we can bake that right into the, the foundation of their companies. I'm glad you brought up policies and laws because it really leads to my next question because one of the things we're seeing is a slew of laws across the state of Iowa, across the country, actually, um, anti-LGBTQ laws and policies. And one of the things that I was reading about was the Iowa Human Rights Commission, as an example, has put out a letter, a, a statement that was signed by 150 plus major companies across the country, of which 47 of those companies have a presence in your state of Iowa. And so my thought is, my question to you is, 
How do you feel about these statements? And do you believe, are you seeing companies turn that into action by way of policies, as you said? Because 47 companies in the state of Iowa that, are, that have signed this letter that says we oppose these anti-LGBTQ laws, that's great, but what are they doing to act? Are you noticing that from your perspective? Yeah, we need more. <laughs> I love a statement. I love that you can, you know, put that out and that's a great uh, post, a great information to your clients, but we need more. We need folks at the state capitol um, actually speaking out against these bills. We had a trans youth sports ban pass in our state. And while that is definitely a loss um, and a hit for all of the trans youth in our in our state, we had very few companies speak up and speak out against that legislation because there's a struggle to see the connection to their company. Um, now, for example, when the RIFRA or Li Religious Freedom Restoration Act bill gets introduced, there are all kinds of companies that are at the Capitol saying, we don't want this, it's bad for business, this will harm our community. And so I need folks to make that connection that a transports youth ban is just as impactful as um, a religious freedom bill because you have parents, you have kiddos, you have relatives that have trans people in their lives. And when you're not speaking up and speaking out, your employees see your silence. And so we have to have that business power continue to speak up for us. We've had in the last two years, 43 anti-LGBTQ bills. And one Iowa, one Iowa action in the progressive coalition that we have built in our business partners have stopped those bills. So while we did have one pass, we are heartbroken for those trans kiddos and we will not stop fighting for them, but we have stopped 42 of them. And we need, and we know that this is a national trend and it's only going to get worse. And we also saw the uh, Iowa House become even more extreme um, and they will be supporting those anti-LGBTQ bills. So we, we know our work is cut out for us and we need companies big and small um, to come out and say at the Capitol and use their political power to really help us out here. So I have a question, a follow-up question, speak up, speak out. How can you suggest um, organizations uh, to do this, especially if there has not been a culture of inclusion? Does that make sense? Uh, if uh, you have certain stakeholders that are uh, sharing with leadership how they are feeling, especially in a diverse uh, workforce where people have different perspectives, different beliefs, different values, what uh, suggestions would you have for organizations that are in that situation? We ask them to come to us. Uh, and we ha I have a, an incredible policy director, Keenan Crow, and they can help guide you and get you some really solid information of why this is good for your business. We also encourage folks to look at their values of their company. Often values are centered around um, people and respect. And we know that that's a part of it and that that's going to be hard for some folks, yes, to respect that LGBTQ people um, are in your companies. But we also know that LGBTQ people deserve goodness and to be able to be their best selves at work and to be their best selves in our state and live without that fear of being harmed. And so it's 
it's a challenging time um, for companies, but we're asking folks to be on the right side of history here and to really step up and, and be loud. Um, and we know that everybody can't be loud. And then I ask those people to have conversations in the halls of the Capitol. Um, not everybody's gonna testify at a subcommittee meeting but we can have tough conversations with our, the leaders of our state of why are we doing this? This is harming people. Um, and I really encourage individuals to take those risks. And we're always happy to help folks um, learn some talking points, learn about the risks of why this is so bad for our state. And we're here to support those individuals as they get their feet wet at the Capitol. I was gonna ask you, you had mentioned um that you all come to us, you said a couple of times, and we can help. And so I'm a leader of a Fortune 500 company. I'm, I have fear about this. I, I don't know what to do. I, I know that it matters, but I'm making money hand over foot. Um, and everybody feels happy, even though I know these, there's a certain group of people that aren't happy. And you say, come, mm. I want to come to you. What would you offer me as a CEO, as a company? What would I, what, what do I need to do? Yeah, I love that. Oh, money. It's a beast, right? <laughs> so that that's my first my first challenge is to how do you use your power and privilege? So we know we live in this this society where money speaks and money has power. And so I would ask you to put your use your power and privilege. And when I say that, like how do you use your voice? How do you use your dollars? to help us move forward to be a more diverse and inclusive state. And so we can help you by training your organization. Last year, One Iowa trained over 10,000 individuals across our state. So we train companies, big and small, healthcare centers, big and small, uh, small businesses, um, everyone in between. And so we want to get you some very basic training on LGBTQ folks, because that's how we start to change hearts and minds is by um, learning about folks. And we have to know what we're talking about a little bit here. And then after that, we can start to have some of those really hard conversations of what's important to you, uh, what's important about your company, and how do you wanna make a change? And what do you want your company to look like? And I get it. I'm, I, I view this nonprofit as a small business that I'm running. So I understand we got we to gotta make money, right? <laughs> Your yeah. company wants to make money. But I believe being a diverse and equitable place to work is only going to make you more money because your employees will be happier and healthier. Think of how much more money you could make if everyone showed up as their very best selves and they had a good quality of life while they were at work. Yeah. And so those are the things we encourage people um, to really take a look at. And my team is, is here to help. And then we have a whole policy arm of our organization that we can help with learning about the anti-LGBTQ bills and why they're so harmful to our state um, and what we can do to get you some really solid information of, because there's power in those CEO, CEO roles in those Fortune 500 companies that um, I just don't have. If I'm yeah. at the Capitol with my pride flag, no one cares. <laughs> but if you're at the Capitol saying, hey, <laughs> this is important, your voice has power. Yeah. I always used to say, I told CEOs to spend a dollar 
you can always spend a dollar and make two, but if you could spend a dollar and make a dollar seventy-five, and put that twenty-five cents back into your people, how much it would matter. So, yeah, Seneca, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I always say, how can uh, we utilize our four P's, um, which is how can I use my power, privilege, and platform to drive purpose? And uh, that grounds me, centers me. And as a leader, if I can continue to take a look at it from that aspect, it can really help drive impact. Uh, Courtney, you had mentioned uh, learning and training uh, that the organization provides uh, because sometimes it's just that there's just lack of awareness, period, right? And a lot of times there may be assumptions, but if there's training, learning and development, then it can help increase awareness. What suggestions can you offer leaders as well as professionals who are just afraid to engage in dialogue around the LGBT community um, as they perceive the terminology continues to change, it's hard to keep up, they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. I get that all the time. And for me, when somebody says that to me, it feels as if, they're just not aware and they're afraid of saying something wrong, especially around the LGBTQ plus and all the acronyms. Yeah, it feels overwhelming, right? Uh, and so first of all, I'd love to point people to our website. We have a, a bunch of incredible resources from books, uh, other websites to check out, um, a reading list, a couple of videos. Uh, but we really just want people to immerse themselves in the LGBTQ community. And so maybe don't think of it as I want to be, I want to learn more because my, you know, brother is LGBTQ. Um, but I want to learn more about the LGBTQ community because there are so many people in my community that will be impacted by my greater awareness. And so the more we know, um, it's diversifying the movies we watch, the books we read, uh, the people we follow on social media, and those seem kind of silly, but if we're only watching stories that line up with our viewpoint, it's it's really hard um, to learn new things. So I would encourage folks to start there. So many people on socials, Instagram, they provide free education um, about the LGBTQ community, and those are really powerful stories being told. And I would have to put a plug for it. They often say, like, you can Venmo me. Pay those people. That's emotional labor. And we, we're we learning from people, and we want to make sure that they are being compensated for that time. Um, and then check out One Iowa. We have quarterly free trainings um, that are virtual, so people can tune in from all around the country. Um, we also have a workplace culture summit that is focused on the LGBTQ community really thriving in the workplace and how you can be an, a great accomplice and ally to that work that needs to be done in workplaces. And that happens in the fall of this year. Um, so we'd encourage people to come to that. And then just to, to you, you talked about being nervous of saying the wrong thing. We all say the wrong thing, right? This is literally my job and I say the wrong thing too. Um, but be quick to apologize and then to move on. Acknowledge your mistake and then move on and do better and keep learning is how we can really keep going. Our silence and everyone's silence is deafening when we don't speak up. So I really do encourage folks just to try to keep learning and, and to say something. Thank you, Courtney, because I think that uh, 
saying something is better than not saying anything. Yet I think that um, on both sides of the communications, if you're engaging in dialogue, that if somebody does say something wrong, I would say assume positive intent because maybe they're just saying what they know at that time and through your interaction, maybe you can continue to encourage them to learn. And or if it's a negative uh, interaction, we may have an impact in them wanting to want to learn more moving forward. And so I said, we're all humans. We're going to make mistakes. No one's an expert in anything and everything, right? And so I think this is where we give grace and get grace in the process as we learn. This is where I think you you had mentioned some of the training, and it's difficult. Sadika makes a great point. You know, um, folks get get scared because of terminology, and they think of it as a, they think of the space as a, many spaces of underserved populations as a course, right? And it's not really about being a course, it's about a lived experience and a willingness to understand others' lived experiences. And sometimes that uh, folks are afraid to speak out in, in public, uh, but this is where those small group discussions and those conversations that those those conversations really matter. It gives people that courage to 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 say what they don't feel comfortable about. And, and I'm glad there's organizations like One Iowa around uh, in, in our state, the state of Iowa and around the country that provide that support so so appreciate what you're doing there we'll transition here to our, our next session here We've, we we could talk to you all day um I, I i'd like to move on to our next session which is what's on our listeners mind we usually get a, a question uh, from a listener it's a random question doesn't may not have anything to do with uh, today's topic um and we like our guests to answer that that question uh, as, as honestly as you can and so uh we have a question here i wonder what our listeners are thinking right now Yes. Uh, yes. So uh, thank you to our listeners. Continue to submit your questions, comments uh, to info at diversitystraightup.com. Cheryl, thank you for submitting this to our guest executive for today's show. Cheryl says, I work in a local government and I'm having a hard time understanding how we can establish a culture that cares about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion when our leaders keep changing due to election cycles. How can we get elected officials on board to truly embrace these issues and create the culture in the workplace that we want when all they care about is potentially their next uh, campaign? Oh, that's good. Well, Cheryl, uh, that's a deep one. So thank you so much for asking. All right, Courtney, it is all yours to answer Cheryl's uh, question there. So Cheryl, uh, I believe that you have great power just in having concern about this topic. you are powerful with the people that are your coworkers um, and that the folks that maybe don't turn over with those election cycles. And you could do something like starting a employee resource group or starting um, some sort of group that, of folks that have power that talk about the changes they want to make and how making that your cultural um, awareness and looking at your hiring practices, baking it into your policies. So some of those things that can't change just with a new person coming in at the top would be really, really important. Uh, Policies and procedures are a great place to make impact and get the people together um, to build some power. I like what you said there, you know, about the people that are are around that have the power. I think a a lot of times in companies, we get caught up in the leader has to make all the changes and it's about the leader, right? And I, I speak to clients sometimes and I say, so how many leaders have you had in the last five or 10 years? And if the leader's changed three or four times, but the culture hasn't changed, then is it really the leader? 
or is it the people with the power? The people have the power if they really understand that. And, and uh, so I, I, I appreciate you saying that. Well, thank you so much, uh, Courtney, for answering uh, Cheryl's question. And uh, listeners, continue to submit your questions and comments to us as we love to hear from you. And then we're wrapping up with our final segment on uh, Diversity Straight Up. Uh, this is our fun little segment here called Diversity Thumbball. And um, Courtney, if we were in the studio, we would be having a little fun with you tossing ball here. Uh, but if you can see Anthony, um, for our listeners, our diversity thumb ball is a very soft kind of a soccer ball. And it has multiple prompts on it around uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, we use this a lot with clients as icebreakers. So what we do is uh, we would just toss it to each other and wherever our thumb lands on that prompt, read it out loud. and authentically respond to the question. And since uh, we're doing this virtually here, we're going to have Anthony who's going to be throwing it up in the air multiple times, <laughs> which is great because, you know, when he tosses at me, I'm sometimes getting hit in the head or is, you know, getting Logan in the <laughs> and the equipment. So today it's going to be Anthony throwing it up and he'll yep. just say, all right, this is your uh, question, Courtney, or this is your question, Syrica, or this is mine. All right. I'm going to throw it up for you, Courtney. You get first tips here. So I would okay. really be throwing this to you if we were sitting in the studio together. So my thumb lands on. And the question is, what are some effective ways to address bias in ourselves and others? Oh, I like it. Constantly learning and unlearning. We have to be able to take a look at ourselves and put away that um, shame I think there's a lot of shame involved as we look at our bias of, of I am bad, my brain is programmed this way. We've had plenty of ways of time to really teach ourselves things that has been taught to us and how do we unlearn those things and give yourself some grace and then get back out and keep asking questions and keep challenging those thoughts that come up. Great. It's like dipping in a pool. If you ask questions and you're a little afraid, if you ask another question, it'll get easier and easier. Yes. Awesome. Seneca, you're next. You ready? All right. I'm throwing yes, it to I am. you. <laughs> <Catch>. <laughs> All right. Share a situation where you were in the minority. Share a situation when I was in the minority. That's a lot of my <laughs> life that has yes. been that way. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of a situation that I can uh, share. I think um, I remember being in kindergarten and I was in Oklahoma. Not only was I the only Indian in the whole school district, besides my sister, I guess, uh, but I also remember being taken into um, learning classes for English where the teacher would take me and I was the only one there as well mm. in class getting, um, back then they called it English as a second language. And I remember being treated as if I was not um, smart, as, as if there was a disability just because I did not know how to speak English. And I say that because those were feelings that I had and they're still raw and I still remember that. Yeah. Never once yeah. would I ever have those teachers think that I was um, smart enough already because I already knew one language. It just wasn't English. And right. then at that time, as a young little one, I'm trying to learn a second language, which wasn't exposed to me at home because my parents didn't know English. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. That's so Thanks. powerful. 
It is. And you are a superhero for knowing two <laughs> languages, if not more. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Courtney. I wish I would have had my educators say that or at least make me feel better. Yeah. So it encouraged me to feel a little bit yeah. more confident about my own learning and development at that time. Yeah. yeah. Makes you stronger. Makes you stronger. That's for sure. It does indeed. Thank you, Anthony. Yeah. All right. I'm tossing to myself here. All right. Describe a time you felt lonely in a big group of people. I don't think I've had that question before. Describe a time I felt lonely in a, in a big group of people. You know, I probably, there's been multiple times, but I would probably say one of the first times I went to a country club uh, in my hometown, um, went to a formal. So I've been to the club to play golf or something, but I, when I went to a formal event um, with my wife, it was a real estate event. I think it was a real estate event. This was probably 20 years ago. Um, and I was the only black person there. I'm used to that. I'm from Iowa. I, I get it. But for some reason, my wife knew all the realtors around. You know, she knew everybody. Um, and I didn't really know anybody, but I'm in my hometown. And I just kind of walked around, grabbed a cocktail, <laughs> grabbed another cocktail, uh, because I kind of didn't know who to talk to. And I'm not, I'm kind of a social guy. So it was, um, but I knew I was like the only black person here. And my wife knows everybody. My wife's white. And, and uh, I didn't really know anybody, and it kind of felt lonely, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, kind of made my way and figured it out, but I've had those situations a, a few different times. Well, awesome. That's our game. Get a ball. This is a fun game. It's a fun icebreaker. We hope you like that, Courtney. We hope you like, like playing it. that game. <laughs> it's definitely less scary than I thought it was going to be, so it's really great. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, is there anything else as we wrap up uh, this episode is there anything else that you that you would like to let our audience know as a leader uh, uh, that could really aid us in helping to continue to be champions of the lgbtq community is, is there anything we haven't talked about that you'd like to to let our audience and our listeners know yeah thank you for that uh, opportunity to kind of wrap it up here i just really encourage folks to pay attention to what's happening you would not believe the amount of times um i'll say we've had 43 anti-lgbtq bills in the last two years and people will say what no way um and so when it doesn't directly impact you um it's hard to pay attention just like we talked at the top of the hour there's so many things happening but we're asking you to care and we're asking you to pay attention and to help out and use your power and privilege so maybe that means looking for somebody else to speak um, speak on a panel for you. Maybe it's finding a different voice that really highlights that diversity, equity, inclusion lens a little bit better than what you can do. How can you give up your power and privilege? And then finally, um, I have a sign hanging in my, my living room. It's huge, like four by, four by six feet. And it says, give a damn. And my kids know what it means. My wife knows what it means. We're going to teach our baby what it means. But we're asking people just to give a damn. We need people to care about what's happening in our communities because the LGBTQ community is all over the state of Iowa and all over our country. And we deserve joy and happiness and safety, just like all of you on this call. And so, but we need help to get there. And so I'm asking folks to really give a damn. Just be a good damn human. Right? <laughs> Help us out. 
Well, thank you so much, Courtney, for joining us today on Diversity Straight Up. We enjoyed engaging in dialogue with you and appreciate your time. I know you're on travels. Uh, again, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show here today. And a shout out again to our sponsors, ACT, Alliant Energy, and Cedar Rapids Bank and Trust. The show is produced by LAS Media Group. A special thanks to our listeners, as without you, we wouldn't be here. So please continue to help us grow subscriber base by sharing our show with others, liking, commenting, etc. Love this episode of Diversity Straight Up? Then head over to the most popular podcast and audio platforms to subscribe, rate, and review us. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up and send your questions, comments, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. Remember, wherever you live, work, and play, our backyards are increasingly global. And as we say on our show, diversity straight up. Keeping it real.